Welcome back to NC Realtors Redefine, the NC Realtors podcast. Recently, NC Realtors adopted a diversity and inclusion statement designed to help members keep the principles of fair housing and diversity at the top of their minds when conducting business. On this episode of Redefine, Executive Director of Housing Consultants Group, Sophia Chris, joins us along with her father, Nathaniel Silverthorne, and her longtime friend, Lowell Citron, to talk about their experience facing racial discrimination in housing and the importance of the realtor commitment to fair housing. We will also hear from 2019 NC Realtors President Asa Fleming about his personal experiences handling discrimination and violations of fair housing standards. But first... Do you have feedback on a story or topic that you'd like to hear covered on this podcast? Then give NC Realtors Redefine a call at 336-550-4437. When leaving your voicemail, be sure to tell us your name and where you're from. Your comments may be used on a future episode of NC Realtors Redefined. I'm Sophia Chris. I'm a realtor in Greensboro, and I grew up in Long Island, and that's why I'm here today with my father to share our story with you. In October, NC Realtors adopted a diversity and inclusion commitment statement to affirm the association and its members' commitment to diversity, fair housing, and equality. As realtors, we are legally and ethically bound to serve our clients without discrimination. Before you say that doesn't happen here, or that I've never witnessed discriminatory behavior in my many years of real estate, I'm here to tell you that unfortunately that's not true. It happens. Last year, there was a huge investigation in Long Island uncovering widespread evidence of unequal treatment by real estate agents. The investigation was a huge wake-up call for NAR and realtors across the country. It also hit me pretty hard when I can listen to the, the study that was done in Long Island, it was very emotional for me because I heard the stories that my parents shared about their struggles in getting their home in Long Island. So, Daddy, thank you for being here. This is Nathaniel Silverthorne. So, Daddy, tell me um, where you moved from and why you moved to Long Island. Moved to New York, moved to Long Island for the school system. Breakneck was number 10 in the number 10 high schools in the country at the time. So very average jobs, but they wanted to do better for their children. So tell me what happened when you um, wanted to buy the house on Long Island. I wanted to buy the house on Long Island. It was a 33,000 square foot house, four bedrooms. And uh, when we uh, went to buy the house, I don't know that they had a covenant not to sell to blacks. And we never saw the owner, but I guess some of the neighbors must have told him that we were black. And he changed things and wanted to, said some of his relatives wanted to buy. So I had to get a lawyer, take it to court, and, get, and it went through the Human Rights Commission to get the house. And it drug on for about a month or two, I guess. So one of the practices that we see in discriminatory behavior in housing is a house gets put on the market, 
And then once the neighbors or the owner finds out who wants to buy it, they change and say they want to sell it to somebody else. So that's pretty much what happened to you, correct? They couldn't tell by my name, you were black or white, you couldn't tell. Right. And so Silverthorne does not dictate what color you are. It's a shame that we live like that, that names dictate what you might look like. But because of my parents' name, the owners didn't know whether they were black or white. And the issue came up when they found out that they were black. So it's really interesting. So they were able to purchase that house, um, had to go to court. And so I have a really good friend on the video with us today, Lowell Citrin, who is my childhood neighbor and little brother. And so Lowell, um, share with us what you know about the discrimination um, that was practiced in Great Neck at that time. Sure. So uh, the Silverthorns moved into Great Neck in the mid 60s. Um, and uh, like the Silverthorns, my parents uh, wanted to move to a house in Great Neck for the school system. Um, and at the time when they moved, uh, it was the late 60s, um, they couldn't afford the house. Um, and uh, they were looking around Great Neck um, for a house, and they found a house, the house across the street from the Silverthorns was for sale, um, but it wasn't selling. Um, and so my parents waited, they made a bid on it, um, a very low bid, actually 60% of the market value, because that's all they could afford. Um, and they got turned down originally. Um, and, you know, they, they knew um, that there was a black family living across the street. Um, and uh, so six months went by and my parents didn't think they were going to get the house. And um, it turned out no one else wanted to buy the house because there was a black family living across the street. So they got a call six months after they made the original bid um, and they said, we're going to accept your bid um, because no one else wants to buy the house. Um, and my parents actually got the house because a black family lived across the street and no one else wanted to buy the house at the time. Before we move on to North Carolina, which is why I'm really here today, because I've been a realtor for 27 years in North Carolina. And there's a story here, too. The great thing is, is that Lowell moved across the street in the 60s, and we've been friends and like family ever since. We even celebrated holidays together. So the good thing is that they bought the house across the street, and we're very much like family almost 40 years later. So what I want to share with North 50 Carolina. Years, 50 years later. I said 40 because I'm trying to stay young. <laughs> anyway. My parents bought the house in 1969. Wow. <laughs> yeah. It's a long time. Yeah. But um, what I want to share about North Carolina and why it's very important to me to share this with you all is because the same similar things happened to my parents here. So the house I'm sitting in now is the house that my parents bought in 1984. 84. 84. Since then, my husband and I have purchased it. But share with them what happened when you came to North Carolina in Summerfield and bought this house. That's going to sell for $158,000. The bank approved us for one hundred and. $50,000. The owner said he would finance the balance. When he went to closing, again, name, he never seen us before by name. He said he wouldn't do it. But before we had left New York, we had taken out an overdraft account with Citibank for $15,000. So it didn't matter. We got the money anyway. 
But once again, at the closing table, things changed because they saw the color of your skin. And so shortly after that, you made another purchase in Oak Ridge. Ridge. So what happened there? It wasn't quite as bad. In Oak Ridge, our our, uh, real estate salesman was black. And the people that the salesman that was selling it to us was white. And she said that uh, seven white people been there to buy this house. So who are these people? Again, name. They didn't know who we were. Kept around with a black. The theme we're trying to share with you is that sometimes you're discriminating and you don't know it, but sometimes you're discriminating and you do know it. And so I really encourage you all to really look at that Long Island Divided um, study. One behavior that was glaring to me from the Long Island study was the discussion about schools. Your discussion about schools says a lot about the neighborhood, a lot about the neighborhood. And then um, in the study, they had people that didn't even have children that would share stuff about schools with one couple, but wouldn't share anything about the schools with another or talk about crime and then not talk about crime. And sometimes it's what you say and what you don't say. But the, the thing that was glaring to me in that study was how you talk about the school system. That's a big deal when it comes to housing because it says a lot about who lives in the neighborhood or apparently we as realtors think it says a lot and here in North Carolina here in Guilford County you know we talk about the Northwest school system all the time you know the reality about school is the school is as good as you make it you know and your parenting style and your student level of engagement with the school is what makes the school so this discussion about schools and neighborhoods I think is discriminatory depending on how you phrase your comments would you agree, Lowell? Yeah, uh, yes, I would, um, very much so. Um, that's one thing. And another thing I, I think that maybe is unintended, maybe, is, you know, these realtors are making assumptions about where people will feel most comfortable. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, they're making it the assumption they're going to feel most comfortable if they're in a neighborhood with people who, look like they do. Um, and, you know, I don't think that's an assumption for a realtor to make. Um, you know, people move into a neighborhood for certain reasons um, and it, it might have nothing to, you know, it has nothing to do a lot of times with, you know, what race they are. That's a very good point. We do make assumptions, you know, and it's unfortunate, you know, I think the call to action here is, to share with your buyers as a realtor up front what you're going to do for them. You're going to show them what they're looking for based on what they say they want in a home. And when you do your MLS search, wherever the home pops up is where it pops up. And don't weed out houses because of what you think. You know, one of the things that was great about my childhood is that I grew up around people that didn't necessarily look like me. You know, we were very multicultural in our approach, and my parents wanted to make sure that we were comfortable around all kinds of people. And Lowell's family was the same way. And I think the reason why we are the way we are is because we grew up near each other. And we did have things that were different about us, but yet we're all people. And once again, Lowell, you don't make an assumption about where people want to live based on what they look like. Exactly. Anything else to add, Lowell? Um, You know, back to Long Island, I I mean, just, you know, as Sophia was, you know, referring to the Newsday uh, study, and it and it was a very comprehensive study, and like Sophia said, you should all take a look at it. Um, you know, it's apparent to me. I, I've lived on Long Island most of my life, um, and there is definitely um, 
racial discrimination in the housing market. I, I see it in different neighborhoods. I'm very involved in different um, organizations here on Long Island. And I see that certain groups are pushed to certain neighborhoods and it's, it's by design. Um, and, you know, Newsday certainly did a very good job to expose that. And hopefully this practice, uh, you know, this trend will change. Will change because we're intentional. And I want to share something um, that I think Brian Green shared yesterday in another fair housing event. If you are either you're intentionally aware or you're unintentionally clueless. And I thought that was very profound because you need to be, you're one or the other. You're one or the other, and let's hopefully all turn into intentionally aware. All right, so thank you all. Please look at Long Island Divided. We'll send you some resources and some several resources um, along with this. And thank you, Lowell, for being here with us today. And thank you, Dan. Good seeing you, Lowell. Great to see you. Recently, NC Realtors conducted a webinar for its members addressing a variety of fair housing topics. Here's 2019 NC Realtors President Asa Fleming. You know, I had a client that called out of uh, Brooklyn, New York. He lived downtown by the Manhattan Bridge. He was renting something out there for about $6,600 a month. Okay. Called up here wanted to do a, a rental. He says, I'm in the neighborhood of, you know, 4,000 to 5,000 a month I'd love to be. Well, that's, <laughs> I had to explain to him, that's high end here. I mean, you're probably executive level, you know? And so he, we went out, I went out and uh, wanted to, he liked one he saw, I'm calling, now, mind you, he, they don't know who he is, okay? I'm calling the agent, I'm calling the agent, I get nothing. I mean, I don't get a response. They know I've showed the property. You know, I'm saying my guy is interested. And so we, the guy's like, I can't believe they're not, in, it's been like a month now. It's not rented, you know? And I, I don't think people are chomping at the bit for at this particular property was around $4,500 a month. And so then we start talking and I, 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 I say, you know, I wonder if it's something else, right? We always have that in the back of our mind. I wonder if it's something else. So what he does, is he sends a letter, an email, to the property manager. And he told me, I'm going to do this, Asa. I'm going to include my picture, right? And my, you know, he was an executive chairman of something. I, I can't remember. Um, I'm going to include all of that. And I'm going to specifically tell them to call you because I'm interested in this property. And let's see if he calls you then. I got a call within three hours. So this guy, he went along, he went, he said, I still want to do it. He goes in. They had said specifically that they did not want any type of upfit. He was allowed to do whatever he wanted to do with the property. And I know that's sort of on the seller, but I believe that the property manager is working for the seller, right? And so we're trying to figure out, you know, is this, you know, can we move? This guy happens to be a Jewish guy, you know what I'm saying? And he was like, I am 100% against what I believe just happened here. The question is, can we prove it? So I, I think one of the things with property management as in, in the other arena with houses, it's difficult, you know, laws are only, policies are only as strong as they're able to be enforced. 
And if there's not a way that, you know, you, you know, attorneys are sort of going, oh, it's a stretch, you know, can we prove this? You know, you're sitting there really in your heart, you're feeling this happen, right? And it, I was not going to get a call back. But because this guy went ahead and sent his email straight directly to this person, he was in that home, um, you know, within a month, you know, and it took a month for the guy to even, you know, so it's just interesting, you know, how, how quickly he got that response once he was contacted and could see the picture of who was actually asking to go in there versus the person who was actually helping him. And so my thing is, we got, and I think as brokers and, and realtors, we need to make sure that we are being completely fair across the board, regardless of who you're dealing with. Uh, because if there is somebody who wants to take this to the nth degree, I am sure a lot of us would be vulnerable. I had a client who really wanted to sell her home. She, she, had, she had inherited from her parents. They had bought it in the 40s. And, um, you know, COVID hit, obviously. And, and, you know, you had this disproportionate amount of, you know, you had zip codes where you would say, oh, there's, this one is a high case content in this zip code. And so she was really concerned. Like, I don't, I don't want any, I don't really want to put anybody in my house. And I, I don't want to sound racist. You know, when someone says that, you know, right, they know they're probably going to sound racist, right? So, but I, don't, I just kind of feel like people from this zip code are probably going to be coming for this. And, you know, I just, is there a way that we can do it? And I was like, there's absolutely no way I'm going to do that. You know, if I'm going to do this for you, it's going to go to anyone who deems necessary to do it. And, you know, quite frankly, why would you want to curtail any interest in your home from anyone, you know? And so she, she went along with it. Um, we put her house on the market. You know, where anyone could see, she went down to the beach. She said, I want, I'm going to have them completely fumigate and <laughs> spray this entire house before I come back into it. She got 176 showings in two days. 40 offers, some, some of them around 40 offers, and sold that property for $50,000 more than what she would want it. And two, a protected class that she was going to say, hey, I, I've got people. I know I could get it from this over here. I can get it from these people. But I, I, that's why I don't want to do it. I talked her into it. And the, the other thing about that, she got a $30,000 due diligence, which is, you know, you, you lose that if you don't buy the house in our state. So, you know, just her being able, me being able to kind of tell her I'm someone that doesn't stand for that. She told me in the end, you know, she was impressed with it. And she really decided to go down a road that she was not going to go down because she had people who had already offered on her home. We're in a hot market, right? But she said, you know what, you, you kind of changed my outlook on it. I decided to just put it out there in the open market for anybody. I'm 50,000 more, you know, richer to the, to the, you know, because of it. And, um, you know, I, I think my life has changed in the perspective that I have, uh, you know, for the duration. So that's an example I'll give of how COVID came in and really kind of scared her based on, you know, demographics of where and, and people who, who supposedly had more propensity to have the disease, right, uh, could have affected the amount of money that she put in her pocket. But having someone who, you know, fortunate having someone who was like, I'm, that's, that's ridiculous. There's no way I'm doing that, you know, and but you shouldn't want to, you know, and it, it opened up her eyes for her to do the right thing and, and benefit because of it. Uh, you know, I've always believed that what you focus on expands, right? And so if you want this to be an environment that's fair and equitable to everyone, that has to become the focus of your brokerage. It has to become the focus of your brokers at your brokerage. You have to actually pay attention and use intentionality. And if you keep that in the forefront, it becomes the accepted norm. 
to read NC Realtors diversity and inclusion commitment statement, and to find resources and tools to help Realtor members and associations learn more about fair housing, visit ncrealtors.org slash fairhousing. Be sure to catch up on every episode of NC Realtors Redefined by subscribing to our podcast on iTunes, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or SoundCloud.